0: I remember singing that song as an invitation hymn, thousands of times probably, growing up in churches, and uh, always was a meaningful song. There's a, just, there's a lot of good hymns and there's a lot of bad hymns. There's a lot of good contemporary songs, a lot of bad contemporary songs. you got to pick and choose. That was one of the good ones. And uh, I appreciate the, the band doing Oh, they're gone. The uh, band doing that. They just disappear like that, don't they? Okay. Let's pray before we look at God's Word this morning. God, I just turn to you right now, and we've just sung a song that says, I surrender all to you. It really has everything to do with what we've been talking about the last several weeks and what we're going to be talking about today. And as we come to your, looking at your word again, God, let us not just uh, look, go into it and say, well, I want to learn some stuff. Let's go into it and say, God, you tell me what to do and I'm going to do it. Let us have that kind of heart, that kind of mindset in our life that we would truly surrender all to you every day, God. And as we do so, God, we would understand that it's not always going to be easy, but it'll always be the best. And so we thank you for that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you some choices this morning. If you could choose between these two things, what would you choose? A temperapedic mattress or a, pa- a box spring? A box spring? Somebody said that. Oh my gosh, you've never slept on a tempur mattress? Any of you have been to Miracle Camp recently? Almost all their mattresses are tempur now. They're actually nice. For a while, though, they were like, like I don't know. Yeah, they were, not, they were horrible. You know, they were horrible sleeping patterns. How about uh, choosing between your favorite pair of tennis shoes and some wooden clogs? Wooden clogs, yeah, somebody's Dutch here or something, you know. No, you wouldn't do that, you know. How about uh, if you could choose between a weekend at a spa and a weekend camping in the desert at the hottest time of the year, what would you choose? Camping. Some of you are crazy, too. Okay. Uh, None of us. You know, all of these questions were kind of pretty loaded questions, but the common denominator is what in all these questions? The common denominator. I'm going to sit down. I'm sitting down because I have gout in my ankle, and so I'm sitting down. I had a flare-up this week. It's, it's terrible to get old. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's comfort. All told, our society places a pretty high value on comfort, doesn't it? A pretty high value on comfort. Um, you know, we have memory foam for our bed. We have um, Lazy Boys for our living room. We have body pillows. We have Snuggies. You know, all those kind of things that we have that gives us comfort uh but there's a danger in loving comfort too much do you know that there's a danger in loving comfort too much uh and, and i don't mean just you know it put, makes us put on extra pounds if we love comfort too much because that can be an o- obvious thing it seems though that what happens is we've con- as we continue to put more and more emphasis on comfort as a, as a people um our faith has followed suit in many ways we like comfortable christianity uh we've become christians accustomed to comfort we uh let me can i just say this we've we've come to our buildings that are warm in the winter and cold and uh cool in the in the in the summer and we have fairly comfortable seating now we don't have padded seats here but actually you know how we chose these seats that you're sitting in when we were getting ready to build this building some of you don't know how we chose this this was actually done by committee All of you that were around at the time chose which seat was. We brought in a whole bunch of different stackable chairs. Some of them were padded, some of them were, this was one of the ones. And we had people come through the office, and for about a month, they would sit in the chair and vote on which one was the most comfortable. That's why you're sitting in that chair. It was based on the decision which is the most comfortable chair to sit in out of about 10 different ones that we had options on back then. I don't know if you remember that or not, but that was the way we did it. And so, you know, we would have those type of things and and one of the sad things is this though is that as we take it to the extreme because one of the things that i've learned recently in september i visited my family in virginia and um and then this past week we were in my wife and i were in knoxville tennessee moving our kids uh to knoxville and and in doing so we had some conversations and you know virginia and knoxville tennessee are both in the bible belt did you know that that's what was called the Bible Belt, the, it, it, which has been the most churched place in America. The second most churched, I mean, the most people go to church this week you're here in the Midwest of all the regions. But the sad thing is, is what I learned, that, that one of the, we've taken comfort to such an extreme in churches nowadays, that one of the things that happens is that we have, are more focused on what makes us comfortable than what it takes to reach the world for Christ, and I learned that by going and talking to my family. I got to Virginia and got to Roanoke, Virginia, where my parents live. And talking to them, they're in a little church, and that church is dying. Little church is dying. And then I talked to my sister, and the church I grew up in uh, is dying. And then I, talk, and I mean they went from 400 to 200, and then they're going in the opposite direction, and basically no one wants to do anything to reach the people for Christ. This is the honest truth. And then I went to Richmond, Virginia, where Vicky's parents, my wife's parents, live. And then we got there, and, 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 and we're talking about we're going to be there over the weekend. And her father, who is a retired pastor and very passionate about reaching at 81 years old, still about reaching people for Christ, told me, "Say, hey, we're not going to the church that we normally go to, First Baptist Ashland." I was going and name the church; I don't care, uh, you know. I, it, and they said, "He said why?" And I said, "Why?" He said, "Well, he said we're going through a struggle right now, and we're dying." And he said, we're not reaching anybody, and we don't want to change. Matter of fact, he just had a conversation with a little old lady in the church. who said, well, if them people want to come to church, they need to be like us. He's going, no, that's the problem. It's all about us. It's all about our comfort." And so he took us to the one church in town that across the street. There were probably some other churches too, but one church that was growing and reaching people and doing the things that needs to do to reach people as well, because they weren't focused on their own selves. They weren't focused on their own comfort. And then when I was in Knoxville, Tennessee, this past, this past week, we were talking to our kids and they're living down in, they're going to be living down in Maryville, which is south on the south side of Knoxville. And uh Knoxville, I went to college 30 minutes from there at a Baptist school, Carson Newman College. And so I know the area really well. I did an internship at Tennessee Baptist Hospital and chaplaincy and did all those type of things. And, and then we're talking about, they were saying, the sad thing is, is that we've talked to our friend, Bo, who's down there, still lives down there. And he says, uh, there's not really any churches in Maryville that are reaching anybody for Christ. They're all dying. So we're going to probably go to church 45 minutes away in North Knoxville in a church up there. See, we've taken comfort to an extreme. And so the thing is we have to understand is, is I want to share with you this morning that the concern, is not just about, it's, it's about church, it's about us, it's about life, we've taken to an extreme. And in Luke 9, 23, the verse that's been the focal verse of this whole series, which continues to be a focal verse, is this. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I mean, so what do what comfort craving fans do with something like the cross i mean if, if it's all about comfort it says to take up our cross daily die to self daily what do you do with a phrase like take up your cross well what i found is that fans eventually find a way to even make the cross comfortable we create a comfortable idea of the cross and what it means for us today to take up our crosses so we have phrases like well we have to all bear our cross and it gets kind of thrown around kind of loosely in regards to any inconvenience or even a menial task that we have to do but that's not what it's talking about in scripture and the cross gets pushed back and the only time we don't want to talk about the cross is maybe at easter because it's an obvious time to talk about it but It's something that we would rather wear around our neck as as an ornament or or have on our t-shirts or even we have on the outside of our building a cross but taking up our own cross, our own personal cross. What does that have to do? How do we deal with that in this comfort crazy culture that we live in? You know the cross is a tough sell if you're trying to market the church, right? Because it's bad enough that Jesus had to die on a cross, but why did he go and insist that we all end up carrying our own crosses? Isn't that kind of ruining Christianity's uh, hope for uh, uh, decent public relations? Doesn't the cross hinder our ability to recruit new people? But you know what Paul said? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he said, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. The message of the cross is foolishness. It's just just ridiculous to people who are perishing, to the person who's outside the church. I don't want the cross. I don't want comfort. But he says it's the power. It's the power of God. It's the power of God to those who are being saved. It means that God has used something that most people would consider foolish. And he's turned it around and he's made something powerful. See, for those living in the first century, the cross was the ultimate symbol of weakness. For many then and now, the message of the gospel that God came to the earth in the form of man and was crucified is completely foolish. I nurse people all the time. And we have more and more and more in our culture who say, oh, that's just foolishness. That's not true. I mean, what would, why would God use a symbol of torture, of death, of weakness to save the world? I suppose the idea of the cross seems more appealing to us because it's no longer used to uh, to execute people and so we've dressed it up we're used to seeing the cross as an ornament or a decoration or as a piece of jewelry but if a first century jew when the when scripture was written came in and saw an illuminated cross hanging from our walls they would think we were sick it's kind of like us how many of you would go around and wear jewelry that has a guillotine on it or an electric chair same thing that's what it's talking about in the cultural context of that day. It's like us going around and having that. It's like, oh, isn't that cute? Isn't it nice? You know, it's, it's this warm, fuzzy feeling. But the cross in that day, when it was written, was a symbol of death and torture. For the Jews, the cross meant weakness. But I think that's God's point, which we want to talk about today. That's God's point. That's what makes the cross so beautiful. God takes what from a human perspective is foolish, is weak, and he chooses that which has no glory, carries no honor, and he finds the least likely symbol for love and life and he says i'll use that god takes what the world says is foolish and demented and shameful and says watch this and turns it around to the power of salvation is what he says and then he says in first paul says in first corinthians one twenty-two, jews demand miraculous signs and greeks look for wisdom but we preach christ crucified a stumbling block to jews and foolishness to gentiles for the foolishness of god is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of god is stronger than man's strength and so the question is this. Who else but God could take a cross that represented death, defeat, and turn into a symbol of victory? Who else but God could take a cross that represented guilt and turn it into a symbol of grace? Who else but God could take a cross that represented condemnation and turn into a symbol of freedom? Who else but God could take a cross that represented pain and suffering and turn it into a symbol of healing and hope? Who else but God could take a cross that represented death and turn it into a symbol of life? No one else could. But he can. What seems like the ultimate moment of God's weakness when Jesus was on the cross was in reality the ultimate moment of God's strength. And here's why that matters. Here's what I don't want you to miss today. This is the point, okay? If you don't hear anything else today, this is the point. And it's the only thing you really need to learn this morning. What God did for the cross, He can do for you. What God did for the cross, turning something who was weak, weak and foolish and demented and, and when everything was wrong with it, what seemed that way, He turned it around to something that was wonderful and beautiful and powerful. God can do that for you. And what that means for you is this, that when you're at your weakest when I'm at my weakest, you're exactly where you need to be for God to be his strongest. The upside down truth of the cross is that we, that you are weak, I am weak, but God is strong. In 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven, it says this, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. It's not that God uses the cross in spite of its weakness. He chose the cross because of its weakness. See, Paul says that God chooses the weak things. Throughout Scripture, God continually chose the weak things over the strong. Uh, There's tons of examples. We just went through the story. And how often did God use the weak to bring about his glory? I mean, remember, Abraham was old and God used him. Uh, Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was humiliated. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor. Samson was proud. Rahab was immoral. David had an affair. Elijah was suicidal, Jeremiah was depressed, Jonah was disobedient, Naomi was a widow, John the Baptist was eccentric to say the least. Peter was impulsive and hot-tempered. Mary or Martha, excuse me, Martha worried a lot. The Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. Zacchaeus was unpopular, Thomas had doubts. Paul had poor health and Timothy was timid. The Bible is a long list of imperfect people that God took because of their weaknesses and he used those weaknesses to become his strength. So God can do for us what he did for the cross. He can take that which would seem foolish or weak to, somebody, to everybody else, he can turn it around and make something beautiful and something powerful out of it. Though it seems backward to us, God teaches us that when we're, we think we're strong, we're really weak. I think it's interesting. Uh, we're getting ready, and I'm not really sure how I'm going to deal with this, okay? Just, just to be honest. But we're getting ready to have a staff retreat in a few weeks, just staff, uh, staff leaders. And on our desk is a book. Uh, Chris got us all something to do something. It's called Strength Finder. And I'm going, okay, that's a good business model for doing it, and we're going to do it. And I'm sure probably it's a good thing, but there's probably, you've probably done it before your strength finder. It's a book that's written in the process. But, you know, that's actually backwards from Scripture. Maybe we need to have a, a weakness finder or a weakness something because God says in Scripture, I want to take your weakness, and I want to use it for my glory and turn it all around. Because Paul says also in 2 Corinthians, and not only in 1 Corinthians that he talk about this, but in the 2nd book of Corinthians, in chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, he says this, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Did you hear that? He's not saying, you know, yeah, you got strengths, I give you strengths, God created you with strengths. He says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, I don't know any of you, that, me included, that delights in our weaknesses. I mean, have you ever been in a job interview and they ask you that dreaded question? tell me what is your greatest weakness ever heard that one and what do you do you know i'll tell you what you don't do you don't tell them what they want to hear you don't tell them what your weakness is because if you do they're not going to get not going to hire you well you know uh, i'm never on time i constantly procrastinate i have trouble getting along with coworkers. i'm not even sure how to turn on the computer I mean you're not going to tell them that even though it might be true right you're not going to do that why because you don't want anybody to know you have a weakness but guess what you do and i do we have weaknesses in our life and god wants to take that weakness according to the scripture and he wants us to, to learn to depend upon him and turn that around and use it as his strength You know, what do you do when you when you have that kind of question? What's your greatest weakness? Well, we'll come up with things to make our weakness sound like it's a strength, like, well, I can be a little bit of a perfectionist. Or, you know, or I tend to be a workaholic, or or you know we, we say that. You know, there are over two thousand self help books that, that are written, published every year that communicate one message. You know what that one message is? You can do it. You can do it. 2,000 self-help books every year, nationally, published every year. But Paul says strength comes when we realize our weakness. Has God ever slammed that into your face and and embedded it into you, that truth, in a real way? He did it to me Thursday afternoon. We had decided, we'd gone down, like I shared, we'd gone down to Knoxville, and I drove a, a 26 foot U haul all the way to Knoxville, Tennessee. It took us 11 and a half hours with stops. It's nine hours of driving plus stops. My son in law, my daughter is already down there working another job. My son in law had the van, the two kids, two and a four year old, and the dog. My wife was driving our car so we could get back. Loaded with stuff, and so we have this little caravan going down there. So we went down, got them on, you know. So we had this long week. Monday we drive all the way down there, get down there late that night. Get not, we check into the hotel. They slipped on box springs and mattresses, not Tempur Pedics, in their in their new house. They're renting and then the next day all day tuesday all day wednesday we're unpacking unloading doing all that kind of stuff get them set up where they can actually live in the house and so we got them set up by wednesday night so vicki and i said well our plan is to come back thursday drive you know drive back and so we get in the car thursday morning thinking everything is just hunky-dory and everything's just running fine we get about from knoxville to chattanooga not chattanooga where am i going I didn't go that way. Cincinnati, excuse me, Cincinnati, which is about four and a half hours into a journey. We're going around the Beltway in Cincinnati. If you've ever been, been there on 275, we're going around the Beltway. About halfway around the Beltway, we get a call. It's a little afternoon. We get a call from our daughter. She's hysterical. And we don't know what's going on. I and mean, we thought everything was fine. And, and she said, I'm on my way to the hospital. She had been at work. I'm on my way to the hospital. I just got a call from Jeremy, her husband, our son in law. We've been in a, the, the, he and his two boys have been in a car accident. He says there's no obvious signs of trauma, but they want to take them to children's hospital to check them out. I don't know what's going on. And then Kara says this ridiculously, says, Dad, I don't know why I'm calling. Because I'm your Dad! And she realized where we were. She knew we'd left that morning. We left about the same time she went to work. So what do we do? We turn around the car. We drive back to Knoxville. On our way back, we still don't know what's going on because Kara had been on her way to the hospital. She's at the emergency room at Children's Hospital in Knoxville. And, you know what I did? There was nothing I can do. My, my weakness was obvious. I couldn't fix it. So what did I do? The whole way, I kept my eyes open, watched the road, and I prayed. But you know one of the things that God did through that whole thing? He said, Bill, he said, Bill, trust me. Trust me. And I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know when did we finally get a call that it was something that could be, the kids will be, you know, some internal injuries or, or anything. I didn't know anything about the accident at that point. I knew they'd been in an accident, period. That's all I knew. And about a half an hour before, after four hours of driving, a half an hour before we get to Knoxville, Tennessee, my daughter calls and says, they've released the kids from the the hospital. Uh, There's no obvious injuries. They think they're just sore from all this. What had happened is, they were sitting in a line of traffic. They were sitting still. Three other vehicles in front of them, and a guy comes in a BMW, runs up and rams it in the rear end, drives their vehicle into the next vehicle. The vehicle's totaled, by the way. And then... And two other vehicles are damaged, and here the kids are sitting. Luckily, they were in child seats. They were strapped in correctly, and there was no major damage. But I want to see the vehicle the next day. The back end's totally messed up, and the front end's totally messed up too. You you know, that, that, that incident made me realize something. I want to admit my weakness. I want to ask God to show his strength in my life, to do for me what he did for the cross. It's part of my pride that I want to carry my own load. I want to fix things. And my own pride sometimes causes me to refuse to admit my weakness, but sometimes I have no choice but to just admit my weakness and go on and say, God, I trust in you. See, the cross makes it clear that when I am weak, he is strong. When I depend upon God, that is when I am strong. And that's a test for followers, it's a test for followers. Will you, like Christ did before us, trust God enough to let your weakness be His strength? Because it's when you, we let go of our need for comfort, we get, let go of our need for control, our need to, to, be, to glory in our own strength and our own accomplishments, or our own paychecks, or our own trophies, or our co-workers' approval, or whatever it keeps you from abandoning a comfortable, whatever it is that keeps you from abandoning a comfortable version of the cross, it's then that God does in our life what He did for Christ upon the cross and Christ's death on the cross. It's then that God does in our hearts what he did for the cross. And he takes followers who were hanging by a thread and he bolsters their spirits and he lifts us up and he takes followers who were at their weakest moment and he uses it for an enormous kingdom good. He takes followers who were all but defeated and he turns their testimonies into life-giving messages of truth and hope. And I've heard story after story after story about how people in the midst of chaos, that God has taken that weakness, that inability to cope, and turn it around, and how they've learned to trust God even more during that time. So a moment of truth in this whole series. Are you a follower? Are you a follower? See, fans do it, do it all on their own. But followers, they admit they have weaknesses. And God takes those weaknesses... And through his power, he uses them for his glory. You know, I, I, for some of you, you've been here for the last four weeks as we, we've covered this. And we've got a couple more weeks in this series. But it's taken a lot of courage, courage for some of you over the last few weeks to say this these things. You know what? I think I'm just a fan. It takes courage to say that. I might be just a fan. I, you know, that's hard to say. It, it was hard at one point in my life to say, That I'm just a fan. And I've been in church for a long time at that point. I mean, some of you may have said to yourself, I think I've just been coming to church most of my life, and yet I can tell you that maybe I've never, I can tell you that following Jesus hasn't cost me anything. I've never sacrificed anything. Or maybe you can say, it's been hard, but I can see that I'm just a Sunday Christian. I come to church on the weekend, but I do what I want to do the rest of the week. That's a fan. Or I'm a, I'm a fan because I put this relationship or this thing above God. Put it first. And I know that many of us do not say that out aloud, but maybe we said it in our head. And I know for many of us during this last four weeks, this has been a challenging time as you've gone to a small group and you've watched the videos. I've already seen the video for this week. You'll be challenged beyond your comfort zone this week, by the way. right guys small group yesterday I wasn't there thank goodness for guys like Bill Trout I was calling last night and go oh, I mean uh it's Friday night I forgot about men's group and I'm not back yet what am I gonna do? And I thought and I said oh, I got three or four guys in a group I could have called just happened to be Bill was on first one on the list that I called so he said yeah I'll take care of it I don't know what you did yesterday I want to talk about that but anyway we'll see you know I'm sure it was great and i was thinking about this whole thing you know this moment of truth where we ask ourselves this hard question am i a follower of jesus or simply a fan that's the whole thing we've been talking about for for four weeks now reading the book which gives us a big picture looking on sunday morning which gives us a focal point and then talking about be able to discuss it in group all those things together has caused us hopefully to ask hard questions to be uncomfortable Because the message of the cross is not about comfort. And if I were sitting across the kitchen table for you right now, I think at this point in this series, I want to ask you one other question. I would want to ask you this question. If in your mind you have said that maybe all I am is a fan, what is keeping you from becoming a completely committed follower of Jesus? What's keeping you from doing that? What's keeping you from going all in? Over the last few weeks, we've been studying this, vo- this verse out of Luke nine twenty three, which says, I must deny myself. If I'm going you know, to go all in. I must deny myself daily. Take up his cross and follow him. Yet at the end of Luke 9, we come across a verse which you will look at in your small group this week. In Luke 9, 57 and following, and we're going to end with this this morning. I want to just end with this. Luke 9, 57 and following is a story at the end of Luke, after Jesus says this in Luke 9, 23. Then in Luke 9, 57 it says, uh, it talks about three guys. Three guys who said they wanted to be followers. But they end up being fans. In Luke 9, 57 it says this. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Doesn't that sound great? Doesn't that sound like that's exactly what we Jesus wants to hear from us who's people who are followers? I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus must have known his heart. He must have seen something in the guy's life to, to question. Well, are you really good? Is is this really the truth? You will follow me wherever I go, because Jesus then says in verse fifty eight, "Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head." Jesus is saying, "Listen, if you follow me, I don't have a Hilton's reward card system. I'm homeless." So, what he does is he pits this man's desire for comfort against this man's desire to follow him, and he's going to find out who wins. I can't help help but wonder if that's one of the things that keeps many of us from going all in with Christ, from truly following Jesus. Because, like me, and I have to admit this too, we all like comfort we are by nature comfort seekers we're the people right of the day spas and the hot tubs and the lazy boys and the snuggies we like our comfort yet there is no way to get comfortable with a cross on your back and jesus says we have to take up our cross we're going to follow him no matter how you adjust it it's just not going to be comfortable So a person who is following Jesus, their life is not being driven by this thought. Am I comfortable? That's not the number one thought in the life of a follower. And then in the next session of Scripture, fan number two, we see Jesus saying this. And Jesus said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father jesus said to him let the dead bury their own dead but you go and proclaim the kingdom of god now when we read that we're thinking how harsh He can't even go to the funeral of his father but in that culture this is probably not what they're talking about the father problem wasn't even dead yet what he's saying down the road when my father dies sometime down the road then when this happens then i'll take care of then then i'll follow you then i'll follow you see that was an eastern tradition that you would stay with your father until he died and then you would take that inheritance and kind of move into a different season of life and so that's what what he's talking about here but jesus calls him to follow him then and there i think there's a lot of us that are going to do a lot of us are going to do this in this series we we come here with good intentions we say things, well, you know, I'm going to be baptized. We're going to have a baptism in two weeks, but not now, later. Or I'm going to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, and I'm going to lead my family. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But it's a really busy time, and I need to wait until I can catch my breath. I'm going to wait until this happens, or I'm going to wait until that happens. And we put it off. We put Jesus off like we put off a diet that we've been meaning to go on. Yeah, I'm going to start on a diet after I finish this piece of cheesecake yeah you're really serious about that and that's what we do with jesus jesus i will follow i will follow you but first let me get out of college first uh let me get married first let me have kids first let me do this first let me do that and what do we do we keep hitting the snooze alarm 10 more minutes god just 10 more minutes 10 more minutes we just keep doing that and we keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off now here's what i can tell you for certain if the holy spirit is convicting you of a need to do something if god is calling you to follow him and you put him off the more you put him off the less likely you are to hear him the next time this is the way it works we become desensitized to the call of god if we keep putting him off the more the holy spirit tries to say wake up the more you hit the snooze alarm, the less likely you are to wake up the next time. Third fan. Still another said in verse 61, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Now, this is nice, right? I mean, at least say goodbye. Once again, Eastern culture, you've got to understand the context. In that culture, when somebody was going to move from one region to another and they're going to leave, they had a, the goodbye took maybe sometimes days and weeks. It was like a big party. So basically, he's saying, God, God, I don't want to, you know, Jesus is saying, follow me now. Don't wait around. To, don't have a party and then decide to follow me. I mean, you ever heard anybody say, well, I'll follow Jesus, but first got to sow my wild oats? Boy, that is stupid. And I'll use that word. I'm sorry, folks. Don't use that word in your family. But that is that is dumb. Really dumb. Because the more you you're just heading in the wrong direction in your life you know what jesus replies to that he says in the next verse jesus replied no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of god he says it's like trying to plow a field and you're looking behind you the whole time i don't know i'm not a farmer so i don't know how this works but i, I can imagine trying to mow the grass in our culture trying to mow the grass with a push mower and constantly we were looking behind us can you do it a very good job of that not me maybe you're better at it than I am but I got to look at where I'm going see in other words what Jesus is saying is I'm not looking for you to 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 be kind of to kind of go at this half-hearted Jesus is not interested in part-time followers he says if you really want to follow me follow me if you don't don't in Revelation when the church one of the churches there is kind of half-hearted and what does jesus say about it he says because you're neither warm nor cold you're kind of lukewarm he said i just want to the word is vomit that's what jesus that's what the bible says that's how it makes god feel he wants your heart to be in it he doesn't want followers to say yeah i will follow you jesus but i've got to have this little thing going on the side i'd like to negotiate the terms of my following Jesus wants, God wants followers, not fans. What are you? I hope you'll ask yourself that question, and I hope you're uncomfortable with it, because that's exactly where God needs you to be. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.